I was so, oh God, what do I have to say? Does anybody care? That I felt really pretty okay to just take a big dive. And working with Brandy felt like that. It felt so out of my world. And I realized really quickly that I did have a lot to say. And I needed to get back to why I wanted to say it. That was Brandy Clark. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Raised in a tiny logging town in Washington state, Brandy Clark grew up surrounded by music, especially country music. Her mom was a musician who played several instruments and was a big music fan, with tastes ranging from the stars of country radio to show tunes to Patsy Cline, Alison Krauss, and Katie Lang. And right next door, country music of an older generation filled her grandmother's house with artists like Merle Haggard and Loretta Lynn. Brandy had a guitar in her hands before she was 10 and started writing songs, but while music was a part of the the fabric of her life, so was sports. And it wasn't until she went to college in Nashville that Brandy decided to pursue music as a career. Didn't take long before she joined the ranks of Music Row's finest songwriters, penning songs for the likes of Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves, Toby Keith, and many others. But unlike many who chose that path, she also began her career as an artist, self-releasing a self-titled EP in 2012, which led to her full-length debut, 12 Stories, in 2013. Now, in a year that marks the 10th anniversary of that album, the 11-time Grammy nominee has just released her fourth full-length album, a gorgeous self-titled collection produced by fellow Washington State native Brandi Carlisle. And the original score, which she penned with her longtime collaborator Shane McAnally for the Broadway musical Shucked, was just nominated for Best Musical Score at the Tony Awards, one of nine overall nominations it received, becoming one of the most nominated shows this year. It's a thrilling time to welcome Brandy Clark as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Brandy Clark, welcome to Shiro. So great to see you. Good to see you too. Congratulations on your self-titled album. I love this album so much and it excited me to no end to see that you teamed up with Brandy Carlisle for this. Oh, thank you. I mean, that it was really an organic sort of pairing and it came together really fast and it all felt really good and I feel lucky that it happened. You and I talked about Brandy Carlisle and I was saying, how weird that the two of you are from the same state. You have almost the same name. Yes. <laughs> you both grew up on country and Western music. Yeah. We met in 2018. I'd went out and did a okay. couple shows with her. That's how we met. And I felt the connection with her. I've always felt connected to her because, well, not only our names, but being from the Pacific Northwest. And I remember when the story came out and I remember friends of mine talking about her. At first, I thought they were talking about me because they kept saying, oh, my God, have you heard that new BC music? And then I <laughs> then when I realized it was Brandy Carlisle, I didn't know this Brandy Carlisle. And so... 
I became really interested in her. You know, she grew up north of Seattle. I grew up south. I grew up in between Seattle and Portland, way out in the woods. She also grew up way out in the woods. We were both named Brandy. We were both gay, both singer-songwriters. So there were just all these connectors and we're very, very similar and also very different. And so it made for a great pairing. But when we met in 2018, I went and opened a couple shows for her. And her album, By the Way I Forgive You, was just out. And I loved that album. I remember where I was when I heard that album. And so we bonded backstage over that. And then I would see her. Like, I remember we hung out at the Americana Awards. It was so, I think back on this now, whenever I'm feeling down or whenever anyone else is, I share this story. We were sitting in the dressing room and she had been nominated and she didn't win. And she said, I never win anything. And then the next Grammys, she won everything. And so, you know, it's just a great reminder that just keep on trucking because your moment is just right around the corner. And your moment, I mean, you've had many moments, but (laughs) this feels like a real Brandy Clark moment, this album. It just feels really exciting. It is. I'm so glad we're talking right now because this is the first time I've slowed down since I made the album. It's been almost two months since it's been out. In some ways, it feels like yesterday, and then in other ways, it feels like two years. So it's great to kind of start soaking it in and to see all the things that this album has already brought this early in its life, the way it's being embraced and the places it's being embraced. You know, that's really incredible. And a lot of it's very different for me, even though my albums have always been, you know, pretty critically embraced across the board. This one's being embraced by different critics and radio spots. I've ne- I mean, I've never been on AAA radio and Dear and Security is on AAA radio. So that's pretty cool. It's amazing. And, you know, we've done some TV and there's a strike and hopefully the strike will lift and we'll get to do some more TV. But I have to remind myself, we're really just at the beginning of this. Yeah. And it's coming like right on the heels of all of the accolades and amazing accomplishment of the musical. Shucked won a Tony, was nominated for Uh nine, but wanted to make a break here for music. And you just mentioned Dear Insecurity, and maybe that's a great place to start today. It's definitely like my very favorite song on the album. And also I was lucky enough to be out at the Gorge and see the two of you perform that recently. Oh, wow. That was magic. That was magic that night. Tell us about this song. Tell us about that moment, what that was like for you. That was the weekend of the Joni Jam. Yeah. You you flew in just for it, I think, right? I did because I had to get back to New York for the Tonys. I hate that I missed the Joni Jam part of this, but I love that I got to be a part of that weekend. When Brandy asked me, I knew it was going to be crazy to do it, but I was like, I have to do this. So the song, I feel like this song keeps evolving. I wrote that song in LA. I was writing with a guy named Michael Pollock, who I had never written with. And I don't like to know much about somebody before I write with them because I don't want to think I need to take a certain kind of idea in. And for anyone who doesn't know Michael, he's a massive hit songwriter. I didn't know that. I mean, I I kind of purposely live in a hole. You know, most recently he was a writer on that song, Flowers, which is like the biggest pop hit in forever. But I didn't know any of that. I was just going in to write with him. And something had happened that morning. And I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but I can't. But it had really hurt my feelings. And I was trying to get my head in a good space to write. 
and stop thinking about this other thing that was going on. And I reminded myself of something that one of my best friends in life always says, which is insecurity is the ugliest human emotion. It causes all of the ugly behaviors. And that usually when someone hurts our feelings, it's their insecurities and not ours. And so I started thinking on that. And I started thinking honestly on my own insecurities and the things in my life that insecurities had held me back from or had messed up. You know, relationships often get screwed up with insecurity, especially in the beginning. That's why that last verse is what it is. But I was sitting in the car and I thought, man, I would love to write a letter to insecurity through song. And so I went in with that title, Dear Insecurity, and we wrote this song that day. And I knew right away that I wanted to record it. And so when Brandy and I were sitting down to make this record, she asked me how I would feel about it being a duet. And I said, I would love to have a duet. You know, I've never had a full duet on a record and I've always wanted to do one. And so we started talking about different people and she really wanted it to be Lucinda Williams. And I loved that idea until I heard Brandy start to sing it. She said, I'll sing the scratch. I'll even kind of try to sound like Lou. I remember when she said that. And so she did and it was magic. And we got really lost in the moment of the song. And she was very adamant that she didn't want to be the featured vocalist on this album since she was producing it. So I left that night. I mean, it felt like magic when we were singing it, but then when I listened to the board mix, it really felt like magic. And I thought, man, I'm in trouble because I really don't want anyone but Brandy on this. I mean, I love Lucinda Williams and many other people that we had talked about, but it just felt right. And so the next day, she was in the kitchen. We were recording at Shangri-La and they have this great little kitchen. And I thought, okay, I'm going to say something to her. And so I said, Brandy, I really want it to be you that's singing this song with me. And she said, well, buddy, all you had to do was ask. And so all the, I had put all of this worry into that she was going to give me a million reasons why it shouldn't be her. And she did it. Those were our scratch vocals and what happened just that day in the studio and I've never been prouder of anything. I mean, I've been as proud of different things I've done, but this one's way up there for me. Cause insecurity This time feels like love She's really sure of me So please don't mess this up If you cut in on this dance I may never get another chance I'll never find a way to get you gone Dear Insecurity, featuring Brandi Carlisle, our guest is Brandi Clark. Her self-titled album, which was produced by Brandi Carlisle, is out now, and she is our featured guest today on Shiro's. I'm Carmel Holt. Now, one of the things about that song that I wanted to ask you about specifically was the end of the song. We're just talking about insecurity mm -hmm. and how it can interfere with relationships. You use the pronoun she mm -hmm. to address talking about 
your love interest. Yeah. And I was like, have I heard Brandy Clark addressing a woman before in a love song? I don't think I have. You haven't. And you know what's what's really amazing? This is probably going to be an unpopular thing I'm about to say, but I think that we'll really have gotten there with LGBTQ plus rights when we don't have pride, when it really is a level playing field, almost like when things are unnoticed in the best way. I didn't even think about singing she. When we wrote that song, it was always she. It was never he. And I didn't realize until Hunter Kelly, who is a great journalist and friend, he texted me how much he loved that I had used the pronoun she. And he asked me, had I thought about it? And I said, not until right now. Like, it just was so fluid for me. And there would have been a time where that would have been something I would have really wrestled with. And it wasn't even a thought. So I guess that says a lot about my own growth in myself. That's amazing. And I get what you're saying about pride because... I'd hate for pride to go away because it's so fun. It is so fun. Yeah. But, you know, I've been having this conversation a lot. And actually, because of doing the Shiro's thing, like I've had a handful of women say they didn't want to do the show because they're so tired of being boxed in in that Mm -hmm. category of like female singer or female artist. You know, our gender just follows us around like a big neon sign. And same as queer folks. It's like queer, blah, blah, blah. Like I just did an Ani DeFranco interview actually during Pride. And she was like, yeah, when I decided to go with it that I was bisexual, then every single press piece from there forward was bisexual singer-songwriter Ani DeFranco had coffee (laughs) this morning. So I feel both ways about it because I think, Mm -hmm. yes, the labels are kind of what keeps us in that place, but also until it is equal, the representation is so important. Agreed. Yes, it's a double-edged sword. I felt that way, you know, there was a real push to play women. And I remember people started doing an all-women's hour. And I didn't like that because I said, well, then that just says you don't have to play women the other 23 hours. Exactly. So it's not really solving the problem. I'm happy for that spotlight and for people that get that spotlight, but it doesn't solve the problem. I mean, I take that back. I hope we always have pride because, like I said, it's a fun month. But be nice if it wasn't to have to fight for rights and to be equal. Since we're on this topic, can we dive a little bit into your history for those that don't know Brandy Clark, don't know where you came from, like how you came up? You, as we already touched on, grew up in a tiny town, a logging town in the Pacific Northwest. Your mom was a musician. Yes. Right. Talk to us a little bit about how you grew up. There was a really strong intergenerational Mm -hmm. influence that happened that was beautiful. Yeah. So now I know that not everybody's mom can play all the instruments my mom could play. She started out on accordion. Because of that, she played piano and organ and she played the harp. Her and I took harp lessons when I was little. I remember that. I couldn't play one chord on the harp, but she played the hammer dulcimer, any kind of instrument. My mom was so musical and brought so much great music into my life that I would have never discovered had it not been for my mom. And then my grandma, my mom's mom, lived next door to us And her and my grandpa, the only station that came in where I lived was a country station. And so they were listening to country music that was removed from the radio by that point. And the greatest example, one of my first memories 
was Mount St. Helens erupting. And my grandma and grandpa had been at the Merle Haggard show the night before and were hung over from the concert. So that was the kind of music they brought in. I remember them going to Merle Haggard. I have a great memory of my grandparents going to Loretta Lynn at the Puyallup Fair. So my knowledge of music, country music in particular, goes back a long ways because of them. And then my mom brought in so many things that were not only country. She brought in show tunes. I think my mom has her finger on the pulse of really great stuff. Alison Krauss is the greatest example. I remember before anybody knew or talked about Alison Krauss, my mom loved her. My mom loved Katie Lang. She loved really great music. So it was clear that you had a lot of great role models and you could see and hear women making music. Yes. Making music on the radio, in the record collections and whatever was coming through in your grandmother. You had this intergenerational Mm -hmm. female influence. So that probably, I would assume, helped a little bit on your way, setting you up to know that I could do this. It did, you know, and... Another artist that my mom listened to that was a big influence for me that I don't really talk about that much was Linda Ronstadt. She would play Linda Ronstadt. And I remember her saying like, now that's a great singer. She can sing opera. You know, she sings everything from country to rock to opera. She has a Spanish speaking album, you know, so I had all that around me. And there were a lot of really amazing females on the radio when I was junior high and high school. And so it did feel possible, but man, they all seemed so much better than me. You know, like, I I don't know if I can ever sing like that. I still don't know if I can. Yeah, so I was introduced to all that great stuff early on. And like I said, my mom brought in show tunes too. So there were all these great Broadway musicals that we would watch and listen to. And my mom was great about pointing out technically how great a lot of these people were. And then, you know, doing things that weren't always at the Linda Ronstadt level. You know, taking my brother and I to local concerts and local community theater and seeing people we knew do it. And so that, I think, probably more than anything made me believe, oh, I can do that too. The first musical I saw was Oklahoma, and our doctor was Curly. So the next year when it was The Music Man and my mom asked me if I wanted to audition, and I said, sure... I think a part of me knew I could be Amaryllis because Dr. Fry had been curly. So I was really lucky. And also my parents, we grew up in a really small town, like 900 people, but they took us to Seattle and Portland. And we, I remember we would go to the Folklife Festival every year. And that was always something that we looked forward to. And I remember getting a harmonica at the Folklife Festival. All the different instruments, it's where my mom, if I remember correctly, it's where she got her hammered dulcimer. And then all the food, before people ate sushi, I remember my dad was eating sushi at the Folklife Festival. So I'm lucky I had parents that believed in the arts and and not just arts, sports. You know, I remember they took us when Mary Lou Retton and the 1984 gymnastics team, they had the perfect 10 tour. And I remember my parents took us to that. And neither my brother or I had any interest in gymnastics beyond watching it on the Olympics, but they just exposed us to a lot of different things. And and I think it helped us be well-rounded and to be dreamers. And then you had a moment where you actually pursued sports and Mm -hmm. then you shifted from sports to music. I did. Sports taught you some very important tools that then you took into your career. 
Yes, because, you know, when I really think about it, I have more natural musical talent than I did athletic talent. But I was a good athlete for where I grew up because I worked hard. And I learned how to have a goal and go after it and how to practice, how to be on a team. And all of those things have really helped me as I've gotten into music. You know, some people that were never on a team still know how to be on a team. But I can usually spot people when I'm in a team situation who were on a team. And really more than those, I can spot those who weren't. And those are always a little frustrating to me. One of the things that's so special about this album, you have some pieces of your own personal story here. Yeah. One of them is about your grandma and that house. Yes. You know, this is the song everybody always wants to talk about. And it warms my heart because I feel like I wrote this song with my grandma from the other side. I really do. Because this idea was really heavy on me. Speaking of Merle Haggard, I had been driving around listening to Are the Good Times Really Over for Good? And I'm somebody, I get this from my mom, I can listen to a song on repeat for a month, you know? Yeah. And so I was listening to that song over and over and over anytime I was in the car. And it makes me think of my grandparents because they're of that generation. And I started thinking about that generation and just who they were and are. Some of them are still around. But one of the things that to me is pretty iconic about that generation is they smoked in the house. And so I started working on a song called They Smoked in the House. And I was loving it. And I was doing all this research, trying to get it right. And I realized like I wasn't emotionally hooked in. It was just a laundry list of things. And I thought, you know, I've got to be more specific. And this song really is about my grandma. And so once I moved it to She Smoked in the House it opened up and it became very specific and things that I thought, okay, nobody else is going to ever get this. Like she cut the mold off cantaloupe and cheese. People are going to hear that line and be like, oh, that's disgusting. But my grandma really did that. It's crazy though. You try to look for signs from people who have passed away. And I think maybe that song was a sign to me from my grandma because I loved every second that I spent on it. And I worked hard on that song because I wanted to get it right. I never thought that song would be on a record. I really thought, this is just for me. This is an exercise in writing about something I know. And then when I finished it, everybody loved it, you know, starting with my label, Warner Records. And then when I gave the short list of songs to Brandy, it was near the top for her. And it's just a great reminder to me to write what you know and what you care about. Because it was the same way with my first record, I had a song called Get High. And I thought I had written something so specific. It was kind of more of a composite character than the song about my grandma. But I would say, you know, I wrote this about a girl I went to high school with. And I jokingly have said it shows, you know, I went to high school with a whole lot more people than I thought I did. Because people come up to me and say, oh, that song about that girl you went to high school with. I know her. I am her. Same way with She Smoked in the House. Like, I can't believe the people that say that was my grandma or that's my mom. Or I've had a few people say that's me. You know, and also not even just the smoking part, but like friends of mine who I would never guess had my grandma have texted me and said, she cut the mold off cantaloupe and cheese. That kills me. Like, that was my grandma. So... I'm glad that I wasn't the only one that was so lucky to have that grandma. She smoked in the house, wouldn't throw nothing out. She'd cut the mold off cantaloupe and cheese. 
in the house that's off the new self-titled album by brandy clark she's our guest today on shiro's and it's her fourth studio effort by the way happy anniversary to 12 stories yes um, it's the 10th anniversary this year of your crazy. debut as a as an artist yeah. isn't that crazy it is. I know. I can't get over it. In October, that record will have been out 10 years. I mean, it's like a blink of an eye. It's crazy to me. If you look at this 12 stories to Big Day in a Small Town, Your Life is a Record, and now Brandy Clark, where does this album sit in terms of your evolution as a songwriter and an artist? You know, it reminds me the most of how I felt when I made 12 stories. And I think, and I this is really saying some vulnerable things, but when it came around for me to make this record, I didn't even know what I had to say. I mean, I don't know how people do it that have made 10 and 15 records. You know, at some point you're like, man, I've written that song 10 times. I don't know any other way to write it. And I felt, I felt somewhat empty. So when Brandy Carlisle approached me about producing a record on me, that was very intriguing because that sounded scary and exciting to me to make a record with another artist. For one thing, I've always said, I don't understand why people make records with other artists. Like, aren't they just making their record? You know, and it's kind of when God like throws it in your lap, I think, oh, well, I'll show you. And I think I had awakened to the idea because I was involved in a project called Lindyville that was spearheaded by Ashley McBride. And it involved several artists and John Osborne from the Brothers Osborne produced it. And, you know, I just dealt with him on the songs that I sang on, but it was so great. I thought, this is really cool to be working with John and him producing this, you know? So I think I had kind of opened up to it through that. And then Brandy and I had done a couple of songs together during the pandemic, and that was really great. And I loved how she just goes with her gut. She doesn't overthink things. And I can overthink a thought to where it's just, you don't even want to have the thought. And so I was so, oh God, what do I have to say? Does anybody care? That I felt really pretty okay to just take a big dive. And working with Brandy felt like that. It felt so out of my world. And I realized really quickly that I did have a lot to say. And I needed to get back to why I wanted to say it. And so that's why it reminds me of 12 stories. Anytime I've worked with a producer, I'll give them a short list of usually 18 to 24 songs that have been whittled down from my catalog, which can be something I wrote last week or something I wrote years ago. You know, there's one pretty old song on this record, um, but it just didn't fit other records. And then I'll ask that producer to help me choose 10 or 12. When Brandy told me her 10 choices, I loved them, but I was surprised that it was things like She Smoked in the House and Take Mine. There were a lot of ballads. So I asked her, you know, why did you choose the songs you chose? And she said, well, all the songs were great songs, but I chose the songs that when I listened to them, I felt like you wrote them in your bedroom. That reawakened me creatively. It reminded me, much like my first album, 
we didn't start writing songs to impress other songwriters or even to have hit songs. When we very first started writing songs, it was because we had something we had to get out. And so this record, it feels like my first record all over again in that, okay, I'm going to just put my heart on this and be reminded that that's what I need to do every day when I sit down and write a song is only write the songs that I'm so connected to, I have to write them. When somebody puts out a self-titled album as their debut, it's like an announcement of, mm -hmm. this is me, yeah. here I am, and has a whole other meaning or can have other meanings at this stage in your career. So is it a reintroduction, as you're saying, or a reconnection? But also, would it be fair to say that this is your most personal or reconnecting to being the most personal album that you've put out? It is. And when you were saying that, I really thought it is like my first album in my heart. But the main difference is, I'll try to say this in the way that, that I really feel it. It's the biggest introduction of me as an artist. When I made my first record, a lot of the songs on that record, which I love and I love doing them, I was frustrated that other people hadn't recorded those songs because that had been the game that I had been playing for so long. Songs like Hold My Hand, like, oh, I was so, I had it in my heart that Leanne Womack was going to record that, and she didn't. And so a lot of the songs on that record were out of frustration of my songwriting career. I always say a lot of failed artists become songwriters. I feel like I'm a failed songwriter turned artist. You know, I really do. And so, and I'm proud of every record I've made. I'm proud of 12 Stories, Big Day, Your Life is a Record. I mean, I didn't think I could make a more vulnerable record than Your Life is a Record until I made this one. And I think what having another artist, especially someone like Brandi Carlisle, who is so centered in who she is, did for me was it made me be the artist. It made me step up. Every song that we would work on, she would question me on it. You know, I don't believe this when you sing this. And I think you need to rewrite that second verse because I don't believe that. I don't believe that you do yoga. That was in Buried. And I was like, well, I don't. And she's like, well, then why is it in the song? Like, get it out of there. You know, think of something else. And so I think this record and why it's called Brandy Clark is because artistically, as far as myself as a recording artist and what I want to say beyond writing songs and writing songs that I hope other people will gravitate towards, this is me writing songs that mean something to me. And I, I hate to say that because my other records are full of songs that mean a lot to me. So I don't want to sound like that, but it's definitely a deeper level and a more vulnerable level. There are things on this record, you know, almost all the vocals are live. And there are vocals like Buried, where I literally had been crying, that are on this record. That is different for me. You know, in the past, I really would push producers to try to help me get to my version of a perfect vocal. Now, they always fought me on that, and there was always some compromise. But with Brandy, there was just, nope, that's it. Like, that's the vocal. And I went with it. You know, I said to her early on, because we do come from very different worlds as far as the way we create. And it was so scary to me. She works really fast. She has big opinions. And 
all of that was really somewhat intimidating to me and hard on my ego a little bit, you know, to have somebody come in and say, hey, I think you need to rewrite this second verse. But I said to her the second day we were working, I said, you know, Brandy, I'm just going to really trust you. And I did. And once I did that, a whole treasure box opened up to me inside of myself that's on this record. That's so moving to hear. Uh, And also, I kept thinking yes to everything that you're saying. And you're working with a woman. mm -hmm. Let's let's go there. Yeah. A gay woman. A woman from the Pacific Northwest that grew up like 75 miles away from you, six years apart. Even though, yes, the worlds musically that you come from are so different, there are so many things that are the same. And also, you may not have had before Mm -hmm. in a studio setting. That yeah. may have made it a safer space. Is that yes? Safe? I, you know, I Is think that just to say? I've worked with two great male producers, Dave Brainerd and Jay Joyce, both of whom I yeah. felt incredibly comfortable with. But all of those things you just said about Brandy, there's a level of comfort that no one else is going to give. I mean, there is a level of comfort with women that is different than with a woman and a man. At least for me, of course, and. I think, you know, Brandy really broadened things for me. And this is side note, but I've been approached to produce records on other people. And I always say no. And I don't know why. I'm just not into it. I mean, I guess maybe if one of my heroes really wanted me to, I'd figure out how to. But I realized with Brandy why I'm not drawn to it. When I was in the studio with her, she knows so much music. And it made me think about all the producers I've worked with know so much music. I know the music I love. That's it. You know, I'm the one who gets stuck on an old Merle Haggard song for a month. I don't go out and (laughs) seek out music the way someone who produces records has to. You know, the references Mm. that she had, would I would have to look them up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And so I don't know why I just got off on that, but I also could talk to her because she's a vocalist. That's her main instrument. That's what she pushes with. She leans on the vocalist and also knows how to talk you through things that are uncomfortable vocally. And that was great. And she doesn't speak technically. And so I felt very comfortable. So that's another thing that I felt comfortable with her. And we were working on the song Up Above the Clouds. And Mm. I said, I don't know how to explain what I want, but I want it to make me feel like I feel when I hear the John Mayer song, Emoji of a Wave. I know that production-wise, it's not the same. Song-wise, it's not the same. But I want to feel what I feel when I hear that song. Because we had some issues with that song, like getting it just right which is so simple. You wouldn't think it would be, but it was tough. And she said, well, I'm the right person for you to talk to like that. Like you don't have to feel like you need to know technically what it is you're after, you know, but to just say, I want to feel like that song makes me feel. You can talk to me like that. And that was really, I've never experienced that before, for sure. Probably because I've never been quite comfortable enough to say, I don't know what it is I'm missing, but this is what I want to feel. I'm just so happy to hear all of the everything. And it just makes my heart sing to think about 
somebody like Brandy opening these doors for other women and other queer women. And I love the work that she's doing, uplifting and amplifying women, giving them their flowers like Tanya mm-hmm. Tucker. I love yeah. that now you're connected in a new way with Tanya Tucker. It's really beautiful. And there's nothing like women uplifting other women as far as I'm concerned. We need more of that. Where should we go next musically? You mentioned Up Above the Clouds. Should we do that song? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, I love that song. Everybody asks me, who's Cecilia? Because it's in quotation, Cecilia's song. One of my best friends, she's his niece and she has been battling brain cancer. And he loves a ballad and I sent it to him because I knew he would love it. But I didn't know he was going to send it to his brother, who is Cecilia's dad. And his brother sent me a really nice message about how that song had really gotten him through some really dark days. So I just felt like, oh, you know, there's got to be something to do to honor her. And so I asked the other co-writers, like, what could we do? And they were so gracious. And they were like, why don't we just call it Cecilia's song? You know, Up Above the Clouds, Cecilia's song. And so that one means a lot to me for that reason. And I loved the song before that story. That was one that the day that it was written, I felt my heart. When I feel my heart, I know a song connects. So I was really proud of this one. That broken heart inside you can only feel the pain. But oh, knows how to find you. Brandy Clark is our guest today on Shiro's Up Above the Clouds, Cecilia's song, part of this amazing new album, her fourth. And I love that Lucius is featured on this song, but they're elsewhere on the record too. They're just so amazing. Had you been familiar with Lucius before? Did you know them? Well, I'm a big fan of theirs and that's why they ended up on the record. I love that last record that Brandy and Dave Copco produced on them. And my favorite song on that record was called LSD. And I went and saw him at the Ryman and was blown away. You know, I said something to Brandy about, I wonder if we could get them on something. And she said, oh yeah. So they're all over it, but I love them. And I'm just a huge Lucius fan. I'm proud to say that even though it was Brandy that asked them to be on the record, I'm the reason why they're on the record because I asked for them. I just I love what they do. The musical and this album, now that you have this huge accomplishment of stepping into both of these worlds, what are you thinking? What are you feeling about the future of Brandy Clark? What could be next? Man, I don't know. You know, both of these things have blown my mind. And I'll be honest, I have been feeling a little bit depressed because I was working so hard to promote both those things at the same time that I was running at a very fast pace, which I like. And that pace has slowed down purposely because I'm getting ready to go out on the road. And so I've got a month here, well, less than a month, you know, a couple of weeks where I am not 
in super fast mode. I'm still doing things like this podcast and some events and some private things, but it's not at that breakneck speed. And I realize how much I enjoyed promoting both those things at the same time, even though before it started to happen, I thought, how am I going to, how are both these things going to not suffer from each other? And really they helped each other. In what way? I think just all the attention that the musical got brought Mm. attention to my record from places where it wouldn't usually get attention and vice versa. People became drawn to go see Shucked because they were hearing about my album. And in a lot of interviews, I would talk about Shucked. So the two things fed each other. It's such a great lesson too, to not come from a place of scarcity. Like it's not like there was only so much that each thing could have, you know? Right, Um, right. And Shane McAnally, my collaborator on Shucked, he pointed that out. He said, man, I feel like your record is really helping the show and the show is really helping your record. You know, I think I really want to dream bigger and differently, you know, because I don't ever want to be on autopilot creatively. So I'd love to do the soundtrack for a movie. I'd love to do another musical. I'd love to musicalize an album. I always like to have a reason for a record. And I know that the purpose for whatever's going to come next with a record is going to show itself. I'm trying to not jump into anything too quickly, but I want to keep making records that inspire me and that people love and that surprise people. You know, I've had so many great reviews on this record, but there are a few people that didn't like it. There's not a lighthearted song on there. That was one of the criticisms. Well, wasn't a lighthearted record. So I'd love to just make more music that moves me. And I do love working with a story. I think that's part of what I loved about working on a musical is that you're dealing with a story. That's why I say if I had an album that went along with a movie or a series, that's intriguing to me. I know it's not exactly the right parallel, but I think about the impact that Sweet Dreams had on you Mm -hmm. as a kid. Yes. You know, like music paired with movies, just somehow. Yes. There's something about that. Yes. I mean, I think that one of the greatest examples of that in my lifetime is Randy Newman. You think about Toy Story, you think about Randy Newman. I mean, I'd love to do something animated for sure. Yeah. But just... Music and the visual pairing is big for me. I have never really thought about that until you just said it, but the two things really go hand in hand. Brandy Clark, it's been so awesome to have you here. Speaking of dreams, we're going to do the Shiro's Magic Wand. The Shiro's Magic Wand closes each episode. It is where I bestow upon my guest the Shiro's Magic Wand for a wish. What would you change in music, in the music industry for women and queer folks if you had the magic wand. If I had the magic wand? Wow. Wave of the wand, what would you change? I would make it so that people had to choose music with their eyes closed and listen with their hearts, that their ears were just the vehicle to get it to their hearts. I think music would be better across the board. I mean, video truly did kill the radio star in a lot of ways. And I think, yeah, I would change that. I would make it be all ears, no eyes, removing the gaze yes, and making a judgment on what the music was going to be based on seeing what the person looked like or who they were. Right. I I remember early on in my career, somebody gave me this piece of advice and I had never thought about it, but it was about image. And this was back in the time when people were given cassette tapes and headshots and all that. And they said, you know, people will see you twice before they listen to you. They'll see your headshot 
and they'll see whatever's on the CD before they ever listen to you. And they're going to have their mind made up before they listen. That's sad to me. That's what I'd take away. I think that there's some patriarchal thing going on, though, (laughs) because I don't think that the same rules apply for men. I mean, it's definitely looser for men. You know, I think about a lot of the men, this is just a very shallow and specific thing, but weight, you know, like there are way more overweight men making popular music than overweight women. That's a huge one. That one drives me crazy. And I don't ever want to hold it against the male artist, but I can get, I can get mad sometimes and think, okay, if he were a woman, he wouldn't even get a shot and it's not his fault, Yeah, but it does not fair. And it's not right. And people miss out on a lot of great art because of it. Yeah. Weight, age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of those things need to change. Thank you to all the artists who reject those notions and continue to make great art, yourself included. Thank you. Ah. Uh, Thank you for this amazing album. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your wish. And how would you like to close our time together today musically from the new album? I know you mentioned that there was one song on here that was like super old. Come Back to Me. That's an old song and a song I never envisioned for myself. I actually played the demo of that song for my manager just because I had kind of forgotten about it. And she said, why don't you record that? And I said, well, I don't know, you know, because Keith Urban recorded it, I think 2012. She's like, so? And my version is very different. But, you know, once again, I don't know why I'd put that rule on myself that just because he had recorded it, I couldn't. So that's probably the oldest song on here. Clark, thanks again for being with us on Shiro's. Thank you. Many thanks to Brandy Clark for being with us. The new self-titled album is out now on Warner Records. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiro's shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiro's Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.